This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. America has long been a country on the move, and where people move has an obvious impact on the design industry. Moving means buying, selling, and redecorating. And the pandemic and the rise of remote work have clearly had a major impact on where and why people move. But are hordes abandoning cities for the suburbs, as so many news reports have it? Are urban centers withering? Is living in California no longer the American dream? Analyses from sources as varied as Zillow, the Wall Street Journal, and even United Van Lines report that Americans are moving south. According to Zillow, the comprehensive online real estate marketplace with data on roughly 110 million American homes, Tampa, Florida, is currently the hottest housing market in the U.S., with Jacksonville number two and Charlotte, Nashville, and Atlanta not far behind. The Wall Street Journal puts Naples, Florida, number one, but the trend holds. What does all this mean? To make sense of the data, I have with me today an expert from Zillow, as well as designers from two of the fastest growing cities, to talk about how their towns are changing and how it impacts them and their colleagues. First, I'm pleased to welcome Amanda Pendleton, who was an award-winning television news anchor for 15 years before becoming Zillow's home trends expert. She translates Zillow's research and housing market data to help people make more informed decisions about where and how to live. She's also a passionate renovator of historic homes. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Michael. Great to be here. So glad you're here. Designer Mallory Matheson has been a resident of Atlanta for more than two decades and opened her firm in 2006 after a brief stint in New York City studying at Parsons. Her vibrant, colorful, and richly layered rooms embody Southern style and graciousness with more than a touch of continental flair. She's also an expert on antiques, and her work has been featured in many regional and national publications. Welcome, Mallory. Hi, Michael. So happy to be here. Glad you're here. I'm also pleased to have with us Nashville native Hannah Crowell. Her clean line, boldly accented, and pattern film rooms bring a contemporary edge to traditional design and incorporate more than a touch of California, where she pursued acting and then studied interior design before moving back to her hometown in 2012 to open her firm, Crowell & Company. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. Thank you. So, Amanda, I wanted to get started with you because this information that you have, and you have the real data, I mean, I've read so many conflicting reports. People are fleeing New York. The suburbs are booming. The cities are dying. You know, Florida, if it doesn't sink into the sea from um, climate change, (laughs) will sink into the sea from so many people moving there. So what's really happening? How do you see, what's the big picture? So I'll first address this urban myth that people are fleeing cities. Our research finds that that's just not happening. Right. Now, there are two exceptions, and we saw this primarily early on during the pandemic. Uh, the two most expensive cities in the country, New York City and San Francisco, had been seeing slow, slowing housing markets prior to the pandemic, and that was accelerated by the pandemic. What we did see across the nation's largest metropolitan areas was that the zip codes with the highest page views per listing on Zillow became increasingly suburban. 
But that was a sign not of declining interest in urban areas, but really this indication of growing competition for for increasingly scarce suburban homes. Urban and suburban housing markets have been Mm -hmm. red hot for the past couple of years. The differences can really be attributed to changes in inventory in both these areas. You know, last spring we saw for sale inventory in the suburbs of top metro areas was down about 40% compared to the year before. And then we only saw 15% decline in inventory in urban areas. So it did feel like there was a lot more competition and a lot more demand for suburban homes. But urban housing markets are doing just as well. And in actually some metro areas of the country, they're doing outperforming. They're outperforming suburban markets. You know, that's sort of the big picture in terms of what's happening between urban and suburban markets. In terms of where people are moving, the pandemic accelerated trends that we had been seeing prior to the pandemic. A lot of people are moving to areas that offer relative affordability and warmer year-round outdoor living. When we think about the areas that people are moving to, the top destinations for net inbound moves in 2021 were mid-priced, growing Sunbelt metro areas. Dallas, Charlotte, Sarasota, Florida, Nashville, and Tampa. So they all offer year-round outdoor living, and they offer relative affordability compared to the more expensive coastal metro areas. Okay, that's very reassuring to hear about that about cities since I live in New York City and love New York City. But one of the things that, you know, having lived in New York as long as I have, that worries me is that with everybody moving to the South and warmer places, that those markets are then going to become prohibitively expensive. And I actually just read something that said Miami was now topping New York and San Francisco as the most expensive city. So I guess the question is affordable, but for how long? Do you have any sense or data of how that's going to change? And then Mallory, I want to ask you about Atlanta specifically, but how do you avoid becoming priced out of the market other than, I guess, acting quickly if you're going to move. We've actually seen this happen with Austin. Austin was the hottest market Mm -hmm. of 2021. We saw a huge surge of interest in the Austin area, and we saw it from those expensive coastal metro areas, particularly from California. Uh, But we also saw it from the New York area as well. And what ended up happening was that home values climbed 40% year over year in Austin over the past year. And that's just kind of created this this affordability crisis there. And that's why we think in 2022, Austin is going to become significantly cooler because it's just hit that affordability ceiling. There aren't enough people who are able to afford to live the way that they want to live in Austin. So yeah, there is a real concern that we are going to hit that affordability ceiling. But I think in a lot of these Sunbelt metros, particularly across the South, it's still a lot cheaper to get a mortgage and to afford a monthly mortgage payment than to pay rent. So that's really the calculus for a lot of people. And so that's why these cities are going to continue to be attractive. Right. It's interesting you say that because I remember years ago looking at Suzanne Castler's book of all the houses in Atlanta. You know, she's had done several books. And I was thinking, these houses are amazing. I mean, I clearly made the wrong choice moving to New York because I could have lived in a palace for what I was paying in New York. So Mallory, I know that you also personally experienced that when you came back from your studies in New York, you told me that originally you had trouble finding a house in Atlanta, and that was 15 years ago. Right. That was a long time ago. I think that my issues were more of being very particular 
wanting something <laughs> like most designers. Wanting, wanting something that was on the uh, historic registry was on my must-have list, which kind of narrowed the pool. But I do think that we are seeing here in Atlanta and in Nashville, other cities in the South, there's just there are no homes to buy, and people are coming in and they're paying more than they would have in 2019 because the homes are not there. I actually have a client who moved from San Francisco to Nashville about six months ago, and they were faced with such a shortage of homes to look at that they ended up buying something sight unseen, having never seen the home in person when it came up and it was on the market for like two hours. So uh, I think we're running into to a lot of that where people want something that's specific when you're moving from New York or San Francisco or LA and you're hoping for a great yard, that indoor-outdoor space, hoping for potentially a neighborhood for your children, just these things that some of these southern cities can offer. Then when people get down here and actually start looking, it's not available, or it's available for $6 million. Mm-hmm. And it, I think, can be frustrating and disappointing to people who are moving, hoping to get something that, you know, the price of living is less, but the price of real estate has skyrocketed so much that it's still so competitive. Right. So, Hannah, now you are a child of Nashville and basically lived there all your life except for the time you were in in, uh, Los Angeles. So I know you must have seen a lot of changes to the city and how it's grown. But how about in the last few years? Now it's one of the hottest destinations for people to move. So has it affected your day to day? Is it visible to you or is it just something you read about in the abstract? No, it's incredibly visible to me in a lot of ways. I mean, just simple like it used to be where everything was 15 minutes. You were always 15 minutes away from everything. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely not the case anymore. So I'm always late because I can't <laughs> change that thought pattern. Traffic. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. And, you know, I lived in L.A. and I and I actually lived in Atlanta for a minute. So mm-hmm. I'm well versed in traffic, but it's mm-hmm. just the city is just not built for this. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then. From the career side of it, and my my workload is out of control. I mean, mm-hmm. it's insane. Where I used to occasionally turn a job down, now it's, I, I mean, I probably turn down 12 jobs a week. I mean, wow. it's, it's that busy. It's so busy. And that just spills over into so many other things. Like, I mean, we're already in the middle of a supply chain Right. crisis and every you know it's so hard to get anything done and now all of our tradespeople are spread so thin it's just i mean it's wonderful to have this much work and to be able to turn work away but also it's the quality of work is really questionable right now just with yeah. the volume so main, yeah maintaining your standards is not easy i'm sure no it's not it's really that's been really difficult right um now, now, the people that you turn down, I assume these aren't long-term clients. You're not going to oh, turn no. away good clients. So no, is, are most of them are new arrivals or Ye- or people that have lived in the city but for a while but now want to upgrade? Or Most of them are new arrivals. We have, I can't remember what the statistic was. I think it was something like 200 people are moving to Nashville a day, which, wow. yeah, it's just crazy. So it's a lot of that. I mean, some of it are people that, you know, are renovating something there's it's kind of it's odd because the inventory that we have as far as real estate goes is abysmal like there's nothing available mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah it's 
it's crazy. So it's a mix, but it's a lot of people moving here. Right. And I, I'd love to get a sense, Amanda, from you about how big a difference remote working. I mean, we're recording this podcast remotely, how that has changed how people view their houses. Because, you know, I lived in New York a long time and have a second home and we go there on the weekends. Now it's like my schedule is very different. So how do you think that's impacting where people want to live. Obviously, if you can work outdoors and you're living somewhere where you can be outdoors 10 months out of the year, it's going to change your attitude. Yeah, absolutely. The pandemic really put a spotlight on home. Home became more important than ever. And then we saw this rise of remote work, which really untethered us from our offices. And it suddenly opened up housing options all over the country, right? So combined, you just have a lot of people who are rethinking where and how they want to live. A lot of people during the pandemic started looking around their homes and asking themselves, is my home really meeting all my needs in this new normal? And that prompted a lot of people to consider making a change and to consider moving. Meanwhile, you had all this real estate technology that was rapidly adopted and accelerated during the pandemic, and it enabled a lot of people to move forward. So with this tech like virtual 3D home tours or interactive floor plans, you can get a really immersive experience of a home that may be in Greenville, South Carolina, or in Billings, Montana, and you can get that experience from the comfort of your couch in New York City. And that opened up a lot of people's eyes to the possibilities that a move could bring. And Mallory, you know, there's remote work. Do you do remote design? I mean, have you had to like deal with clients who are, you know, this client that, you know, moving into this house they didn't, had never seen. Have you had to work that way? We did last year. We did a project in Austin, actually, that we did the entire project without ever setting foot in the house until installation. And it worked really well. What was that well. like? It, was, it wasn't m- more difficult? It wasn't, it, it, how did you visualize you know, we just, it? We had some great contractors that we were working with there who were able to communicate all of the details to us that we needed. It worked out pretty well. I think that we were probably the exception, not the rule to that, having literally never even walked in the door until we showed up with our trucks of furniture to to set the home up. But it, it worked out well. That's the first and only time I've done that. Atlanta is really, I've actually been in my, in my office every single day, and work has ramped up so much with everything that the pandemic has brought. Like Amanda was saying, you know, the home has just become, you know, the center of everyone's lives over the past two years. And as we all know, everyone's looking around and saying, let's either move whether it's across the country or to another house in your neighborhood, if it becomes available, or let's get in here and really change up what we currently have. Right, right. And I wanted to ask you, Amanda, in terms of people moving, yes, we get that. But there are a lot of people for many reasons can't move. They families, whatever, some work, they still have to be at their job. So has there been a growth in renovations Do you know? Yeah, we have seen a boom in renovations during the pandemic. You know, Zillow recently did a survey. We found 72% of homeowners are now considering at least one home improvement project in 2022. The top project they're interested in is Mm -hmm. a bathroom remodel, followed by a kitchen remodel. Uh, But a lot of of people are also trying to create more functional space in their home. So maybe they're converting their garage into a home gym, or they're finishing their attic or their basement. 
Washington. They're they're creating additional right. space because I think that's what so many people crave during the pandemic is just more square footage, right. more usable square footage in their home. And we think this is the year a lot of people are really going to act right. on that. And good luck to those garage renovators who maybe can't get garage doors. There was an article on the front page of the New York Times yet, right. just the other day about <laughs> no one can get garage doors to finish these new houses. It's just crazy between the, the pandemic and the supply chain issues. But the good thing for the design world is that everybody is home focused. The bad news is everybody's home focused at the same time with the pandemic supply chain (laughs) issues. But Mallory, I wanted to get a sense from you, like, do you and your your colleagues in the design industry in Atlanta, how do you deal with people coming in? Do you market to them to try and get them? How do they find out about you? Is it a different audience? Do you feel it's different than people who've lived in Atlanta a long time? Are their desires different? Are what they're looking for? Well, I I was first going to speak to what Amanda was saying about those small renovations. Our issues here are that you can't find anybody to renovate a bathroom. There's so many large-scale, really, really involved renovations going on where people are taking houses down to the studs, moving into a rental, moving out. Out, that if you want to renovate a bathroom or even a bathroom in a kitchen, it's like get in line. There's no one to do it. Right. And really, the good contractors know, were never easy to find, but now they're well, like. Well, there there are so many great contractors, but they're the projects. The the, the projects right. are there's so many wonderful, really lucrative projects out there that you know nobody's going to touch a small bathroom. So if there's anybody out there who specializes in smaller renovations, come on down to Atlanta. <laughs> We could we could fill your calendar quickly. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's true true anywhere at this point. But you know, good to know if I you're know. in the, if you're a contractor and you're looking for a warmer place to live. <laughs> right. So back to your question, I feel like everyone that I have a, a kind of tight knit group of design other designer friends here, and nobody really markets. You know, obviously Instagram is a huge, huge way to share with an audience your aesthetic and little snippets about your life, but there really isn't a sense of any sort of advertising or marketing here. So much of what we do is still word of mouth. I would say 90% of the business that we get is word of mouth or repeat business, and there's about 10% that we get through, you know, inquiries through Instagram Mm -hmm. or through seeing something that's published, that type of thing. But it's really, really word of mouth. And I would say that's kind of across the board for most of the designers that I know in everywhere. So Hannah, to sustain your business, you eventually want to have some of these new arrivals come into your fold, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. consider being clients. So are there ways that you market to them? Or is it, how do you make your presence felt within the Nashville design community? Well, gosh, I mean, I, I wish I could tell you that I had some sort of strategic plan for that, but I literally have no plan at all for any of that. Um, I'm probably the, I mean, when people Well, call you're too me, busy to make a plan. Well, and I'm also just, I, I'm not, I, I have somebody that deals with the business side because I'm completely mm-hmm. incapable of thinking that way. So I, so no, I, I really don't have a plan for that. I think it's just... I don't do any marketing. I don't do any advertising. I don't do any of that just because I historically haven't had to. And Mm -hmm. the word of mouth is so great. And also, I'm not your typical, I'm not a traditional designer. So, and there's not a lot of people in Nashville that sort of have my aesthetic. So, I am not for everybody. A lot of people, Mm -hmm. I'm 
definitely not for them. So it just sort of, it's an easier funnel for me than if I was a more right. traditional Southern designer, I think. Right, right, right. So people who respond to your aesthetic, they find you. Do you think that's many of the outsiders? Because that's what I'm trying to get a sense of tradition. Mallory was saying, you know, the Southern tradition or whatever. Do outsiders, do they bring a different point of view? So we have this joke in our office. Every time the phone rings and there's a New York mm-hmm. Eric, if it's New York, Chicago, or LA, I'm like, okay, here we go. And so (laughs) I do get most, I mean, not most of them, who knows how many are coming in and calling people, Mm. but I would say that most of my clients that are from outside of Nashville end up calling me or coming from a bigger city with sort of a more modern aesthetic. So it just sort of becomes this natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's going to change the way Nashville sees itself in a way? I do. Eventually? Yeah, I think it already has. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in Nashville in a more bohemian family where we mm-hmm. were definitely not a traditional Southern family at all. So my interpretation of Nashville already sort of is that. But I think that, you know, I'm a little bit clouded and biased. And so I do think that Nashville proper has and and has for a while had much more of a balance between real traditional Southern design and sort of a more eclectic worldly design, just because we have so many musicians and artists and whatnot here. But to your question, yes, I do think that that's becoming way more so in that we have so many People moving here used to be just people were moving here from New York or L.A. in the music business. And now it's just sort of across the board. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Mallory, let's say somebody's moving from like San Francisco to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Do you find their expectations are different? The way they live is different? Or, you know, clearly they're not as imbued with the Southern gracious tradition. (laughs) I mean, not to use a cliche, but, The clients that we've had that have moved from bigger cities to... I mean, Atlanta and Nashville are still really big cities. You can still mm-hmm. get anything delivered to you at the drop of a hat. Right. And there's still a lot, a lot that's here. But it is just having that green space, having those yards, having that indoor-outdoor that gets them so excited. And somebody saying, you know, let's just really focus on if it's going to take we know it's going to take a year to get our living room and dining room furniture in. What can we do to quickly get these outdoor spaces done? What can we do? Is there, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything that we can we can do to get the spaces? that will have us in the areas that we moved to Atlanta to be in, which is the patio, the terrace, right. the backyard. It's that outdoor living, like Amanda said, is what draws people right. here. Even in the middle of February when it's chilly, it's still in the sunshine, feels great outside. Nashville's not Florida, but it has, what, a good 10 months when you can be outside. So, Hannah, is this something that you see both your Nashville natives and new arrivals concentrating on? Has that become a bigger part of your business? And have you been working with like land, more landscape architects, for example, or garden designers? Yes, actually, 
a lot of projects with a lot of clients right now, but also my own project. So I have been <laughs> renovating my own house for the past year, and we are supposed to be moving home next week. Oh, God willing, crossed. we will. I mean, it's oh my gosh. Um, so yes, I've definitely done that in my own house, and I've done it. I do it with a lot of clients. I will say it's wonderful in theory. But Nashville really has, and and I think Atlanta's a little bit like this as well, but we have a couple of days a year where you can truly open the windows and you're not going to be swarmed by mosquitoes. So it's just the seasons happen very quickly. So we have a couple of minutes in the fall and then we have a <laughs> couple of minutes in the spring. And then after that, you're just like, there's really no indoor-outdoor, but we, I, I do. See, that, that is something I did not focus on, is the mosquito problem. <laughs> we do. We live in our backyard all summer. I mean, it's it's definitely can be hot. But I think if you have a pool, if you have access to water of some sort, then, yes. like, it's, you know, it's good. Definitely. I think more of what I'm saying is the indoor-outdoor. Like, a lot of times clients will be like, oh, I want this big nano wall that stacks back. I'm like, great. Mm. We can do it, and we can spend all that money, but you're going to stack that thing back a couple of times. And then you yeah. got to close that back up because it's yeah. just— yeah too hot. But yes, in my house, we put in a pool and just, which I think is also such a pandemic cliche. It's like, I bought an above ground pool at one point out of desperation mm -hmm. just to put mm -hmm. my children somewhere. We have since gotten <laughs> rid of that. Um, but yes, and especially just creating the indoor outdoor through big glass windows and doors. We just don't open the doors a whole lot. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and Amanda, that brings up something else. What about second homes? Because those of us who live in the Northeast or Seattle even, many have second homes so they can escape, you know, get a little nature. You know, we, don't have, we have some beautiful parks in New York City, but I like my own little plot of land so I can sit out in the sun and all that. So has there been a rise in second home purchases or... Do you have any inf uh, data on that? Yeah, I, I think when we started seeing a, this incredibly competitive hot housing market, a lot of people attributed that to second mm -hmm. home purchases, thinking, That's well, what surely, I originally thought. It must right. be all the New Yorkers. I'm going to the suburbs, right? right? It, it must be all the New Yorkers. But turns out that secondary home purchases are not driving the housing market right now. But what we are seeing is that in vacation areas, there's a lot more activity and a lot more interest, and that's really what's driving the right. markets there. So yes, particularly in Florida, because there are so many vacation destinations in Florida, uh, the secondary home market is still driving a big chunk of the housing right. market there. But for the country as a whole, no, this demand is really coming from primary right. homeowners, people who are are picking up their lives. They're leaving Chicago for, say, Nashville right. or or for right. Atlanta. And, and that's what's really driving driving this market. Right. right. And I think a lot of that may have to do also with the clients that we have that moved from San Francisco to Nashville. It had to do a lot with the schooling situation. It had to do a lot with the fact that they were able to work from anywhere and being able to pick up and move the entire your entire life somewhere where your kids could go to school in person and, and you can work outside from your back porch. Right. So when you have people who are newly moved, as Amanda was saying, they've picked up their whole lives. They don't have, you know, they move to a place where they don't necessarily have many friends. They don't have family. So is that a more intimate relationship when you're designing their house? Because don't they rely on you? Like they don't even know what grocery store to go to. 
yes, we do a lot of recommendations from where <laughs> with the best florists, dry cleaners, absolutely restaurants. I feel like we have these conversations with our clients a lot where we're just talking about what's the best tried and true places and then what's new and up and coming. And we talk, we, you know, discuss that with clients who are just moving to Atlanta as well as ones who have been here for years. Mm-hmm. With my friends who are designers, we do a lot of source sharing through vendors, which has gotten us through, helped us kind of come up with different plans with all of the lead time issues. And so I'm a big sharer, whether it's to clients about where they should be going to dinner when they have friends coming into town, or whether it's with design friends about who's going to be the best workroom to make this sofa since we know we can't get it the traditional way in North Carolina. So I think right. being open is is always behooves you. So Hannah, when the people are new to the city, I'm sure you have some clients that are fairly new to the to mm-hmm. Nashville. Are their expectations different than, say, the natives, the Nashville natives who have a certain lifestyle? And, you know, it's a great historic city with the music and all of that. But are the outsiders, do they see their homes differently or are they sort of anxious to blend in and ad- adapt the ways of Nashville, shall we say? Um, It's... As far as the clients that I work with, I would say they're eager to blend in. You know, most of my clients are not the people that are moving here for the same reason that, you know, we're the number one bachelorette destination in the world, (laughs) which is just nuts. Um, I I did not know that. Oh, yeah. It's you go downtown and there are pedal taverns everywhere with just a bachelorette wearing cowboy hats and day drinking. Mm -hmm. So... Native Nashvilleans avoid downtown like the plague. Mm-hmm. So I would say that for the most part, no, I don't think that their expectations are any different than, say, a native. I think it's more of their perspective on the cost of the homes right now. You know, for all of us that live here, we're just shocked that mm-hmm. it costs what it costs now. And you have somebody move here from L.A. and they're like, great. This is a Right, steal. this is a bargain. This is a right. bargain. All right. So I think that that's the biggest difference right. between. Right. Now, Amanda, this brings up something else. People look at Zillow all the time and become addicted to it. It's amazing. But what is the best way for people to research areas that they're thinking of moving to? Because like, let's say, okay, your life has changed for whatever reason. You don't have to go to the office or now you have an, a second child or a first child or you've gotten divorced. How do you research the best places to move, someplace that you're going to love. Because like, I, I think most people have only lived in a few places in their lives. It's a big decision. Right. And what we find is that very few people actually, you know, do pack up their lives and move to somewhere they've mm-hmm. never been or, or somewhere that they don't have some kind of tie to, right? So I, I think most people generally have a sense of where they want to be, whether that's geographically, and then they can, you know, kind of think about, okay, well, I know I want to be in the Northeast, or I know I want to be in the Southeast. And then they kind of look around from there. I think what we did see during the pandemic is that a lot of people did turn to Zillow to escape and to really imagine the possibilities that a move could bring and to Mm -hmm. dream, right? And, And eventually dreaming turned into shopping because people fell in love with homes that they found on Zillow. And maybe they were in places that they never imagined they would end up. But we did see that happen during 
during the pandemic. So I think obviously do your research, right? Make sure, take some trips there, meet mm-hmm. the people, you know, spend some time on Main Street and, and go into some local shops and try the restaurants and ask people what it's really like to live in that place. Uh, and make sure it's a good fit for you and your family. I think what we saw early on in the pandemic is that a lot of people sort of picked up and left and then ultimately ended up in, in homes that they they came to regret. There's an article in the Times, too, about buyer's regret. You know, I think a lot of people move to the country, experience yeah. that, especially from cities that moved to remote countryside. Then I think that was an issue that had buyers regret. Yeah. Zillow's survey found that 75% of recent buyers say they have at least one regret about their new home. And it's understandable. I mean, they were facing unprecedented conditions during the pandemic. This record low inventory that that Mallory was talking about, inventory down 40% compared to pre-pandemic levels. And they saw these rising prices and extreme time pressure. So the combination of these factors contributed to people landing homes that maybe weren't the right fit for them or their families. Right. And I mean, I don't want to use the word sophisticated because I think Southern style is highly sophisticated and elegant and continental. And I love it. I love it. But I think maybe urban is a good word, even from New York, L.A., so Mallory, do you also see that happening in Atlanta or do you think that the Southern tradition is still reigning strong? Oh, absolutely. There's such a range of, of styles that are happening, you know, very prevalent here in Atlanta. I am a, a traditionalist and so nobody's coming to me for, you know, like I've never had a client who has a modern glass house. <laughs> They're just not coming mm-hmm. to me for that. Um, well, it could be chic, though, to do a modern <laughs> glass house be, in a very traditional be. way. You know, just most of my clients, you know, we're incorporating antiques that they've had in their family. We're, you know, thinking about grandmother's china and embracing all of these things that relate to their their family's history and their current history that they're building for their families, but trying to inject youthfulness into that. But we definitely do interiors that are grounded in traditionalism. And there are so many amazing designers in Atlanta who do really, really avant-garde, contemporary, amazing work. So mm-hmm. I would say it's definitely across the board here mm-hmm. as well. Right. Which it is in New York and, and yeah. San Francisco and L.A. Right. too. Everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Right. So. I mean, there are people everywhere. I, I do feel like that there has been a, a real resurgence of comfort with, uh, you know, the pandemic and people being home and yeah. people aren't looking as much for a sitting room that has very staid armless chaises in it that they're only going to use when they have girls over for wine night, it's more of like, let's make this a space where we can hunker down, watch TV, have, whether it's working and working from the sofa, or it just is a real resurgence of comfort, which kind of hand in hand goes into some more traditional things, you know, having curtains that feel cozy, having really soft upholstery that you can sink into, having homes that feel a little bit more layered and cozy somehow do turn the needle back to traditionalism in many ways. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it can be interpreted right. in in a range, but... Right. Yeah. Now, Amanda, I wanted to ask you to get back to what we were talking about before, traffic. We talked about Austin and how now Austin has sort of hit a ceiling in a way and become un, unaffordable, really, for a lot of people and way too crowded. So, A, do you think that these cities that are now on the hot list, which is the west coast of Florida... Naples, Nashville, Atlanta, are there ways that they can 
think about incorporating these new arrivals better to minimize the problems? Or should people who have not yet moved to Nashville and Atlanta or down to Florida think about other areas that maybe are adjacent but aren't as crowded? How do we handle this flow of all these newcomers without being ruined the way Austin is worried about it's going to become ruined? Right. I, you know, I think this is an age-old challenge. <laughs> I know, and I know you don't have the answer. This kind of- I'm, I put you on the spot here, but I don't- ex- <laughs> No, I mean, this, this is rapid exponential growth, right? And, and we're seeing it not only in population, we're seeing it in home values. So these growing metro areas have an opportunity to take advantage of the climbing home values, to invest in their infrastructure, to help alleviate some of that traffic, to invest in new housing stock to support their growing population. And so they need to be really intentional about, number one, their zoning policies, number two, creating new housing stock through new construction, and number three, creating all types of housing stock that would be affordable at all income levels. So you can keep the artisans and the craftsmen in these cities. And you have to recognize this is not an issue that's going away anytime soon. I mean, since the Great Recession, we've been underbuilding homes. Right. And now we're really feeling the effect of that underbuilding as, as millennials are coming of age. Millennials are the largest generational group in the country, and they're aging into their home buying years. They're hitting their mid-30s. Mm. They want to settle down, they want to buy a home. Meanwhile, baby boomers, another huge demographic group, they're healthier, they're living longer, they're much more active in the housing market than in years past. They want to age in place. So we've got these huge, massive generations competing for the very few homes that are available on the market. And it doesn't seem like there's going to be a solution to that anytime soon. So I guess the advice would be, if you're thinking of moving, don't hesitate. Probably you're going to have to spend more than you were thinking you would, no matter where you're looking. But I think the other thing that's so important is what Mallory and Hannah, we were talking about was the importance of home. So when you find a home, treat it well and make it beautiful and hire a great designer, such as you two guys, to make the house work. Because, you know, the days of starter homes and flipping homes and increasing, I think those days are gone. Wouldn't you agree, Amanda? I would. I think given how rapidly home values are going up, it's just so much harder to try to upgrade right. after a couple of right. years, right? Suddenly that upgraded home is now out of your mm-hmm. budget. So yeah, I think that's right. Invest in the home that you've mm-hmm. got. Make sure you're purchasing mm-hmm. the right home for you and your family in the first place. Uh, make sure it checks as many boxes on your wish list as possible uh, and be ready to make compromises. Yes. I mean, the reality is in this market, you're not going to get everything that you want. So, you know, get with what you can live with and then hire a great designer or or hire people who can help make your house a home that's going to work for you and your family. Right. I think that's great advice because, yeah, let me tell you, one thing living in New York, you know, is even people who are spending $50 million on an apartment never get everything on their wish list. So you have to really focus on what's Mm -hmm. most important to you. And, you know, Mallory and Hannah, I don't know if you have advice for people, but my advice is for them to hire people, you or talents like you. Well, it's interesting what Amanda was just saying. We actually just finished a project for a darling couple who's in their 80s, and they wanted, we called it not a renovation, but a rejuvenation for their house because they had lived in the same house for 30 years, 
And they had made some small changes along the way, but they came to a point where they realized they're in good health, but they don't want to move. They don't want to to necessarily downsize, but they needed to make the home really functional for their age and the next, you know, the sunset years of their life. So we went through an entire rejuvenation, renovation, and redecorated their whole house for them to, to sit tight and stay in the pla- in the same place rather than move. Yeah. So I think that people Very are smart. definitely doing that. And, and I think it's a, it's a sweet thing to be able to stay in a house that you've loved for a long time. Yeah. And I'll say, I mean, going back to my own personal project, about two years ago, I it was too small. We live on a big hill in Nashville. So I technically have two and a half acres it's all a hill that I've never even gone on because right. I know there's snakes out there. Right. So <laughs> there's not a lot of room for expansion. And I started looking and I was like, should we move? But I would have spent so much more buying something else than getting it to be where I, what I wanted it to be. And I have so many clients that come, they're like, should we buy this tall, skinny, or should we renovate? And I always say, you're going to hate renovating and that's what you need to do. Because yeah. you just... My house is a 1960s ranch, so it's not even that old. But, you know, I love that I've maintained the integrity of the house. I didn't tear it down like everybody else around me and built a little McMansion. And then you end up with something that's like so special and storied. And so I definitely think and I advise my clients to just do the renovation, try not to kill each other. In the end, you'll love it. But Oh, it's a it's so hard. I've seen a lot of talk about beautiful old homes in Nashville being torn down for new homes. Just kind of on Instagram and seeing a few people who've kind of rallied behind these older properties and it's definitely happening in Atlanta too, but it seems like Nashville it is really really widespread. Yeah, we have some zoning issues here. Mm-hmm. One part of Nashville that does have a lot of really beautiful old homes you can divide the lots. So like where I live, you can't. Everything's on an acre, which is amazing. But you yeah. can divide a lot and these people will buy yeah. an, you know, an old beautiful house that does need a lot of love, but they could tear it down and buy two tall skinnies and that's mm-hmm. what they're doing. So it's yeah. really unfortunate. I I hate the zoning laws that we have in Nashville, but yeah, that's that happens a yeah. lot. Yeah, zoning is crucial, as Amanda was saying. It's, but it's like, and this is another thing that you, people need to get involved with their local governments mm-hmm. and, and really push for change that, you know, I know LA is finally allowing some accessory dwelling units and stuff that people have to like really grapple with this problem. So, yeah. but I guess in the meantime, the advice is, you know, find the right location. If you're going to move, find the right location, do your research, then Buy the best house you... The location's the only thing you can't change. The location's key. Yeah, you can't... Exactly. Then you buy the best house you... Location and layout, right? Right. right. Find the best house you can, that you can afford, and and then show it a lot of love, because you're probably going to be there for a while. So I want to thank you guys... This has been a really informative and fascinating. So I want to thank my wonderful guests, Amanda Pendleton, Mallory Matheson, and Hannah Crowell. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, Please tell a friend or colleague, or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word, and we would love your ideas for future episodes. 
please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time.